The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special Final Fantasy VII Remake spoiler cast, aka the internet's number one Chadley and Johnny fan show. Uh, my name is Jonathan Dornbush, and we're going to have a lot of thoughts about those two characters in particular. Uh, but before we get to those thoughts, I'm joined by Max Scoville. Howdy. Zach Ryan. What's up? And Tom Marks. Hello. So in case you didn't gather by the title of this video, we are going into full spoilers of Final Fantasy VII Remake, and we'll probably be talking a little bit about the original game as well. So if you don't want Remake spoiled, if you haven't finished it yet, put this video on mute, let it play on repeat in the background of your computer so we get video views, and go play the game, and then come back and restart it and watch, because uh, we're going to go into full story character gameplay spoilers so uh, actually no no you, you raised an interesting point there like are we yeah are we consider are we including spoilers for the regular game of final fantasy the original or just the remake because it's well, an odd sort of so i've never played the original uh and i did want to mention we're all coming from i think a little bit of a different perspective on the original game i've never played the original i think what we should do is anything that touches on stuff that happened in the original final fantasy 7 let's give a spoiler warning within the spoiler cast i i mean i think it's kind of impossible to talk about one without talking about the other um, yeah we're going to have especially to. as we get towards the end of this game uh yeah, yeah. but yeah but I, think I, I, I think there's also there's also a line right like we can talk about it where relevant but we're not yes. going to just like dive into the end of the original final fantasy 7 just for funsies like if it's relevant we'll bring it up and we'll warn you Exactly. So yeah, we'll we'll give you a warning of that stuff in advance. But yeah, I did want to sort of set the stage before we jump in um, and we'll pick up with story at first. I did want to start with where we're all coming from with this game. So like I said, I've beaten Final Fantasy VII Remake. I've never played the original Final Fantasy VII beyond the first like hour or so. Uh, so I really was coming in pretty blind with this. I've I've seen the characters in Kingdom Hearts, of course, but on the FF7 front, the original game is basically uncharted territory for me. Uh, Tom, where are you coming from? Because, of course, you reviewed this for us. Yeah, so I reviewed Remake. Um, I gave it an 8 and an editor's choice because I thought it was really, really great. Uh, the, a lot of people overlooked that editor's choice, by the way. Did put that <laughs> on there. Anyway, um, yeah, I played the original when I was younger, like when it came out, probably a little after it came out because I was maybe a little young when it came out. Um, and I've dipped back into it over the years, but never like refinished it. And then I replayed it in anticipation of the remake and the review. So I have the like nostalgia side of it, but then I also am not like one of those people that replay it every single year and have for the last like two decades or whatever. And uh, Max, where are you coming from on FF7? Uh, I dabbled in it as a kid. My best friend had it. I watched him play through a lot of it and, you know, that was in, that was almost 25 years ago. So it's a little <laughs> bit foggy and I've gone back. I think I started replaying it on Vita and then got sidetracked and then started replaying it on switch and then got sidetracked. And, you know, I've effectively, I've managed to revisit the the chunk of the game that the remake remade. So, you know. Yeah. And uh, Zach, what about you? Yeah. I played this game a lot as a kid, um, but kind of an important game to me is as, as a, you know, middle school kid, uh, first introduction to jrpgs first game that i remember playing and thinking about like how important the story was to it and you know like i uh, made a couple of really good lifelong friends through playing final fantasy 7 um but it's an interesting game for me because 
while I really enjoyed it as a, as a kid, I've gone back to it as an adult a couple of times and have kind of decided that the original is a bad game. I think it suffers from a lot of like really disjointed storytelling and bad localization and translation. And honestly, like going back to play a lot of those early PlayStation one games are a bit of a slog at this point. So my sentiment has certainly changed. I think you can probably go back through about four or five years of IGN podcasts and hear me bad mouthing final fantasy seven. Uh, <laughs> so the, I came to this remake. I actually wasn't even going to play it because I was like, oh, I've already played that game. I don't need that story. Like, um, but I'm glad that I did. Yeah. Um, and I do want to sort of jump, off on that note without again spoiling too much beyond those opening hours of F the original ff7 but how did you all feel as people with you know history with this game uh and i can get to my version of this in a little bit but how did you all feel of them focusing on this single midgar focus section like how do you think they did expanding on what was essentially such a smaller chunk of the original game for me it was like pretty much exactly what I was expecting based off of all of this. Like I was expecting it to be a really good chance to flesh out a lot of the like single screen things that were in the original that you don't, that you sort of forget were really, really small in the original because the nostalgia makes you go, Oh, that was like Walmart. It was humongous. And it's like Walmart, it was tiny and kind of uninteresting, but like the mystique of it was so cool. And that's what this game did really well. was like, take that memory and just turn it into something amazing um but also i think it exactly as i expected did a lot of the stuff that really bugged me for, uh, as a result of this decision like it's i i mean i know we're going to get into this later but like it doesn't feel like a full story to me it does not feel like a contained thing in any way shape or form and like that is was always going to be an issue in my mind where like when they said oh yeah it's just gonna be midgar i was like oh it's just gonna like okay that'll be really cool in some ways and really kind of frustrating in others and then it sort of was that to me. <laughs> I, I agree with Tom in that this is very definitely like part one of a greater thing, obviously. Um, I didn't, it didn't really, it wasn't as, uh, as big a miss, I think, story-wise for me as it was for Tom. Um, but I, I think as a concept, you know, looking back at the original Final Fantasy, Midgar is such a perfectly um, kind of encapsulated portion of that game. It's, it's a really great proof of concept for a 32-bit RPG. And I think that, it does sort of tell a really great opening arc to a bigger story. I think when you put that in the context of multiple parts uh, of this remake, it kind of recontextualizes that in that like it doesn't do a great job of telling an all-encompassing story. It is very much of a cliffhanger, whereas in the original, obviously, like you get this great opening act and then you go on to the next thing, and there's obviously more story to be, uh, you know, to be experienced there. Um, but yeah, I, I think Midgar as a as a location is really super interesting. I've always thought it was like a really cool um, uh, setting for this story. So, uh, you know, I, I wasn't initially on board with the idea of an episodic remake to begin with. But now that I've having played through this whole game, I don't know how they really could have done this first part without just focusing on Midgar and the people there. Yeah, um, it was Midgar is a really interesting choice because it is such a it is unique and it's also special in the sort of the pantheon of Final Fantasy settings because like, you know, FF6 was sort of the first one to be like, let's get like, let's get steampunk. Let's break the formula of traditional fantasy. But it was really like FF7 in addition to being like, okay, let's uh, let's go with, let's do 3D polygons. Let's do like, you know, FMV cutscenes, but also let's have this insane like diesel punk, cyberpunk setting that uh, is so like, I can understand why the devs would want to really like flesh out this one section. Uh, however, the problem with like being like, we're going to build a city, we're going to turn people loose in it, uh, but also we're going to be sticking to this 25-year-old story, which means that you've got this beautiful world to explore, but there's only like, it's it's fairly linear aside from when you can go explore it. Um, and then aside from it being a, you know, a self-contained story, it just, it isn't, which I don't think anyone should have really expected. Uh, but I think it's a, it's a it, kind of an issue that they called this Final Fantasy VII Remake, not Final Fantasy VII Remake Chapter 1. I think I think that's the biggest thing that I take umbrage with, like story issues aside, you know, like pacing issues aside, which we'll get into. Uh, I, I think that the the bigger caveat for me on the whole thing is that uh, it's almost like flagrant false advertising that this is just called Final Fantasy VII Remake. Like, I understand why, but uh, I think to, you know, your average Joe that doesn't 
follow games news and isn't super invested in in this world uh you know they go into their local stores well not anymore but at one day one point you could have gone into your local stores and seen this <laughs> on the shelf and said like oh my god they remade the game that's great and then what if you invest 40 hours into it and it just stops like you know i, I think it's a little unfair to call this like final fantasy 7 remake and not have a subtitle that's you know at least points out to an uninitiated audience that this is a part one of a much greater whole. And and real quick, I, I want to just like reiterate that because everyone, probably everyone listening to the spoiler cast, like is clued in on all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And probably knew all this. And it's probably silly to think to some people think, listening being like, who didn't know that? But like, we, so I wrote an article, I think it was like the day after the um, embargo went up for our review that was like, no, the Final Fantasy VII remake is not the full game. And there were comments in that article, and it was basically just breaking down how far into the story it got and that sort of thing. And there were comments in that article being like, why do you even write this? Who is this for? Who didn't know this already? That was the most trafficked article that week beyond, I think, the review itself, right? Like, that, people were searching that all over the place on Google because there were tons of people who did not know that was the case right all the way up until the game launching and as Zach said like after launch like it, mm-hmm. it really really did did slip by a lot of people mm-hmm. I mean just just for context this this was such a huge such a huge game um because a lot of people I think who have maybe grown out of gaming or moved past it or like they still have fond memories of FF7 you know, for PlayStation One, I saw like New York Times, uh, you know, Hollywood Reporter writing up pieces about this, and it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where like people perk up, and even if they're not cued in on gaming, so it is like I think it's kind of a faux pas on, on Square's part to not to not be a little bit more crystal clear with that uh, with that messaging. Yeah, it's it's a weird choice, and I do want to get to it. I'm I'm almost inclined to just jump to the ending and then work our way backward from there. Uh, yeah, if that's not, not, it's not a bad idea, because yeah. I do I do think I do think at the very least, as someone who is aware of this game sort of relationship with the original FF Seven, um, I I don't think there's a, like a good excuse for the naming convention. I do think it is bad advertising. It is unfair to a mass audience, um, and I do think any sort of part one. You, a weird Kingdom Hearts subtitle like this is game directed by Tetsuya Nomura. He's no stranger to subtitles. Right. Um, they could have done something to better uh, point that out. I do wonder, as someone again who has not played the original, the ending of this game, and you know we're getting into the full spoilers now. Very much feels like it is in conversation with the original game and the expectations people had that they were going to just straight remake the original game right. and so- the. The inclusion of the whispers and the breaking of Destiny's pull at the end to me implies they will do something slightly different going forward. We'll see in practice if that happens, but at least to me in my mind, I'm seeing that as like they don't want people to expect the sequels to this to be as close to the original as parts of this. Mm-hmm. Is extraordinarily meta. Is extraordinarily yeah. meta. Yeah. It was- explicitly the writers of the game and you can love this or hate this but like it was explicitly the writers of the game saying this is not what you're going to expect uh heather alexander at kotaku wrote a great piece uh that was about how the game is essentially uh, a game about making a final fantasy 7 remake right i think i think they really hit the nail on the head there like it is very it is so meta in its in its storytelling and its recontextualizing of events in the main game and i like uh, this is, we're early days in this podcast, but I, I'm just going to gush about this particular portion of this game. Like, I think it is unbelievably smart how they're talking about, um, the original versus the new game. Like, I love how meta it is. I love how self-referential the game is. I love that there are all these fan theories about how, like, do Aerith and Sephiroth, are they the same characters from the original game? Do they know what's going to happen next? Is that like their arc is that they've seen what comes next and they're kind of shepherding these, the, the rest of the crew on this journey. Uh, you know, like the, the, what is it? It ends with the unexpected journey or the unknown journey continues, right? Like, I think it's brilliant. I think in terms of storytelling and the way to do a remake, I think it's so smart and I love it. Um, do I have faith in Square? to continue telling a story that remains as grounded as the first two thirds of this game. Absolutely not. Like, I think there's real potential for it to go (laughs) off the rails here, but the way that they've set it up is in, in this way is like so interesting to me as a, as a person that didn't love the original, but knows those story beats is like, 
oh, this rules. Like this is such a cool way to retell this story where you can use the bones of the original, but do something new and exciting and unique. So excited for the second chapter because there's something really wonderful about, and, and this is sort of a weird feeling to have after you beat a game. You know, it should be, there's a sense of like, you know, uh, pageantry and finality that comes with finishing something that you spent 40 hours on. But at the same time, I sort of love that they're sort of like, you know, opening the door to the great outside world and being like, all right, where to next? It's just, and it's like, there's, I get chills just kind of thinking about that because there is that, there's that sense of just sort of the, you know, the open road that lies ahead and all the stuff that's, that's probably in store. And then also the, the little, you know, the little caveat that like, this isn't going to go the way you think, which um, we've seen, uh, we've, I think that bucking expectation is something that um, hardcore fandoms have a really hard time with. Uh, and it's a thing that's really fun for creators. Um, I don't want to name names here, but I think Ryan Johnson is, is a perfect example of this with, uh, with the, the, uh, the Last Jedi, which was basically like, you know, looking straight at the audience and being like, this isn't going to go how you think. And everyone's like, this didn't go how I wanted it to. Um, but there's there's also interesting precedent for doing this with with remakes. Specifically, uh, I'm thinking of like the the Evangelion rebuild movies, which started out as like a straight, almost HD overhaul of the original series. And then very drastically diverted and started doing incredibly strange things. And as a fan of the originals, I was like, I don't like this one bit. Um, Another one that's interesting in, in the game sense, um, Yakuza Kiwami is theoretically a remake of the first game, but it yeah. has all this stuff injected into it that diverts a little bit. And it's the kind of thing where like, this is a constant you know, debate of like, which do you play first, Yakuza 0, which is a prequel that makes more sense if you know what comes later, or Yakuza Kiwami, which has follow-ups to stuff that happens in, in the prequel. Like, it, it's, it's one of those things where like, it's, it's a remake made for people who understand what's being remade. Uh, and it's so hard to kind of separate. Exactly expectations from like it, it's it's a little wink and a nod it is it is exact like you said it's very meta um and it's it's always cu like curious if the audience is going to be receptive to that and they're going to go oh i see what you're doing here very clever let's see what happens next or they're going to be like you took the thing i love and you ruined it so so that's the thing it's like for fans that are coming to this game that just want a straightforward remake right like the people that only want that same story the people that only want to see those characters do the same things and live the same walk the same path you know, et cetera. Uh, I'm sure it's it's a disappointment, right? And it's a challenge to what they were expecting from this game. Um, but the idea that it is both a sequel and a, a bit of a prequel and also a full remake is like so interesting to me as a, a person that plays video games. Like, I think it's it's honestly like it it's pretty bold and kind of shocking that it that this this particular format this particular uh writing and game has come from square which i feel like they've you know th they don't do storytelling perfectly all the time i'll say that. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? a, a yeah. diplomatic way of saying yeah it. yeah um tom i do want to get I, to your thoughts on it a, a diplomatic way of saying it i would call that the understatement of the century but all right <laughs> um here's the deal my thoughts and i will preface this like I do with every time I've talked about this game. I really, really, really liked this game. Please do not take what I'm about to say and the criticism I'm about to say as me saying this game was bad, because it's not. It's a great game. My thoughts on the ending and the meta stuff in general have evolved and kind of become a lot clearer to me since I played it. And they haven't really changed. It's just I didn't really know why I was feeling the way I was about it until, like, this week right like it's taken a long time a lot of thinking because i was struggling with this idea of like i really like when they added things i really like when they changed things even i think a lot of the things that they changed about the original were great changes like really interesting cool changes so like why was the ending and the whispers sticking out to me and i think one of the main reasons why i think that they were bad flat out is because it's bad storytelling. It's not at all about what they changed or how it relates to the original or even making changes to the original. I think in this game, Sephiroth is such a poorly explained, poorly developed villain that when at the end of the game, you're asked to walk through a rift and fight him for no discernible reason whatsoever, I had absolutely no emotional connection to that character, right. even knowing the nostalgia that was in the past. Right. And I, and I think it was the exact same thing with the whispers where it's like, 
the whispers, sure, they were this meta narrative device that the writers were using to change fate or keep things on track. Like I understand the literary use of that device, but it was literally just a deus ex machina device that they could insert at any point in the story to fix any situation they wanted in any way. It's like you're in this underground lab under Sector 7 where you've discovered these horrible monsters and you've rescued Wedge. And then they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa we can't have the characters thinking too much about this. Get them out of there. How do we do that? Uh, the whispers teleport them back to the entrance and they don't think about it anymore. Like... That's what I had problems with in the story of this game was not even that they changed stuff, but a lot of the stuff that they inserted and changed was really poorly told and really poorly supported within the this story, not the not even relating to the original story, just within this story. And like that's why ultimately all the changes they made and all the like wild meta stuff that they added was a huge disappointment to me, not even because they changed stuff, not even because it wasn't a straight remake. Like, even the idea that this is kind of almost a sequel to Seven is exciting to me. They just didn't justify it well within the own, their own narrative. Like, it was so haphazard and ridiculous. That's, I, I, I think, sorry, that was a big rant, but, like, that's just, no, it, no. it got under my skin. You know, Sephiroth doesn't even appear in the original game until well after Midgar. Right. Like you hear these whispers and you see his the aftermath of his arrival. Well, not even his his arrival right like it's it's he's built up in a way that when you finally do have a confrontation with him like one of the first times you see him is in a flashback and he has like all the level three magic he does five thousand damage to every enemy that he hits he's this force right and i think that that hits sort of undercut in the remake by seeing him in the first 10 minutes in a way that's just like he's just kind of omnipresent with cloud like he's just this sort of voice in the back of his head and I understand why, like in terms of like in service to the original game, they want to have this villain have more screen time in this opening act. Um, but I do think that you're right. I do think that especially in the last third of the game, it feels a little ham-fisted. I feel like everything comes together a little too quickly. Everything like is explained in this big info dump right at the end where they could have parsed that out a little bit better and made it make a little more sense. I disagree with you on the whispers. I think the whispers are a really, really cool concept. And I think they're pulled off mostly pretty well they're they're a little bit too nomura-esque right but <laughs> I, I like the idea that they're a stand-in for diehard fans that every time the characters start straying from the path of the original the whispers are there to grab them and pull them back you know that that's that's the fandom that i was talking about earlier that says like no we only want this story we only want the original we only want to see the stuff we've already experienced right uh and in that i think it's a success because Every time you start thinking about like, what is the motivation for this scene? What's actually happening here? You get caught off guard because the whispers come in and pull you out of it, right? Like there's a whole scene with Aerith in the train yards where it's like a flashback to her childhood that's never really quite explained. And it only happens because the whispers take her away from that, right? The rest of the team. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really, they work for me, but I've heard this complaint a lot that they don't work for others, Tom. I, I think they could have been a lot more palatable, again, to someone who hasn't played the original um, I, I didn't mind them as much as Tom, but I totally understand the criticism. And I think they could have been better, like better inserted into the world uh, in some sort of explanatory way. Like I do think, like we've been saying, there's just such a third act info dump problem with this game where it changes the storytelling and it changes everything that matters and what it's telling you right at the end when I've cared as someone who's relatively new to it. I spent the first two acts of this game loving these grounded relationships and caring about Jesse Wedge, uh, Biggs, um, the relationship, the friendship between Aerith and Tifa, uh, finding out more about Barrett and sort of how they like deconstruct his masculinity and all of his like mach machismo. I loved all of that stuff. And then when it started to go into like deeper, you need to know FF7 to care about this. I, I looked things up and it's like, I didn't know why Zach was suddenly appearing. Right. I didn't know who Kate Sith was for three seconds. Like that stuff, when they started to dive into like, okay, now we're like really connecting ourselves and reckoning with what we're doing as a story. I They could have started seeing, seeding that stuff in, in a more prevalent way, I think earlier on. And even oh, totally. the, Kate Sith, the Kate Sith thing is like, the, the Zach thing and the Kate Sith thing are very two almost very different sides of that coin to me because like Kate Sith being in a cutscene for three seconds is stupid in a certain way, but also it's great because it's just fan service and it's, just, it's lovely. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's like, the, it's like the blue milk in rogue one, right? Where it's like, right. Oh, 
Here's this guy. Remember yeah. him? Uh, like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't harm anything to have Kate Seth really be in there in a kind of like ham-fisted way. But Zach, you literally don't even know Zach's name unless you're playing with subtitles on in this game. Yeah. Let alone would you know that that cutscene is half literally the Crisis Core final cutscene remade in this. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, like that of that is just not explained and they're putting it at the most climactic moment I, of the entire game i want to touch on something here zach you mentioned rogue one which was great because i was thinking about this but i feel like it would be annoying to just arbitrarily bring up star wars but hey it's a game that has a big wedge in it so let's do it my, my background um, has star wars you're fine yeah exactly but no i mean um i think a lot about this people are like rogue one is the best star wars movie and it's got a lot of cool stuff in there but it doesn't make it doesn't work really on its own like if darth vader shows up and you have no idea who darth vader is you're like, who is that man? And why is he doing that? And it doesn't like it doesn't work in a vacuum. But at the same time, who is going to go see Star Wars Rogue One without having some semblance of, of an idea who who Darth Vader is? And the, I think the same could be applied to Sephiroth. Where totally like Jonathan, you haven't played Final Fantasy VII, but you're well aware that Sephiroth is the big bad, right? Yeah, like that. That's the funny thing about coming to the as like this game almost feels engineered also to appeal to someone from my like my knowledge base because what I know of FF7 is Cloud Tifa um sephiroth and midgar that's it um yeah i mean it's yeah. it's just it we're in this weird age with and this isn't just you know in terms of games and remakes and and it's it's i think across all media where there's uh you know it's so easy to find out who some something who someone is or what something is or what the context is and ever we're so inundated with like you know imagery and marketing and just it, general sort of buzz surrounding something that it almost it it's and this is a this is a problem for people who are like strictly creating new stories but there's almost like a they're not really expected to to fully flesh something out within within the story itself you know it's people can get away with things where it's like oh just read the wiki and there's there's even that whole like i think there's a mentality and this is especially true with um any type of media that requires like a you can do a deep dive on like if it's a 70 hour jrpg of course there's going to be people who are like no, no no that makes perfect sense you just have to read the wiki on it you know and like it's there's that it no it makes it's really good if you if you uh if you read up on it afterwards which doesn't that kind of is like a that's like additional requirements you know right. that's like you know I, some accessories sold separately i think for a game that is about initiating new people to a final fantasy 7 fandom it's a completely ludicrous request to ask people to have an encyclopedic knowledge of what happened in the original game like i i love the idea that that they're playing with you know, uh, an alternate timeline where Zach Fair lives instead of dies after, you know, on his arrival to Midgar. Like, I think it's really cool. But like, for somebody like Jonathan, for somebody like you, Max, or like, you know, my girlfriend's playing it right now. She's at the end of the game. And it's just like, I know that when she finishes it, I'm going to have to explain so much, right? There's so much of that world that needs to be explained that just like, if you're a newcomer to this, it just makes zero sense at all. And so that's why so many people have such an issue with the ending where they're just like, what the hell was that? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And, but, and you're not, you're totally not wrong. But the point, part of the point I was trying to make is like, even as me who knows all that stuff, mm -hmm. I think that ending made zero sense, right? Mm -hmm. Like I understood all the references. I understood what they were trying to do, what they were trying to communicate, what they were trying to change and reform and all that. I understood all of it. I've dug into the theories. I get it. But like, just as a contained story, it didn't work for me. Like, mm -hmm. even as someone who knows all that stuff, I don't care about a three-phase fight with Sephiroth at this point in the story because I don't know anything about Sephiroth within... It didn't, it didn't totally. it. Like, it yeah, wasn't... Right. It was kind no. of just expecting it to, to click. Now, there's a yeah. perfect analogy. There's a perfect analogy just a little bit before that where you meet the mayor, right? <laughs> you meet the mayor in the Shinra building and he's like hold up in the Shinra building and he's this like Shinra puppet. And uh, this is all information that's given to you in one cutscene, right? Like, oh yeah, I've been here this whole time. I work for Shinra, <laughs> I'm on the Shinra payroll, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, okay, got it, got it, okay. And then he's like, I'm the mole, I work for Avalanche. And it's like, who cares? I just met you, dude. Like that doesn't matter to me at all. Like they could have seated him so much earlier in the game and built out this idea that the mayor is this corrupt, like, you know, mouthpiece for Shinra and blah, blah, blah. And then when that turn happened, you would have been like, Oh, that's crazy. It's this guy the whole time. But instead they just dump it all in one cutscene, And you're like, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like it's a great idea, but it was like poorly executed. Mm. And I see what you're saying. And I, I should also say like, I feel like we're all kind of ragging on this game. I love this game. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, can we, can we, me too. I, yeah. 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 Like, I, I think it's freaking phenomenal. And like up until the point where you enter the Shinra building, this game is like 
a 10 out of 10 masterpiece for me. Like I, I absolutely love it. I think it falls apart in the third act, but like, I, I love all the rest of it. So yeah, I, I do want to get to, I, I think this Sorry, game has like, has, has my, like already my favorite moment of gaming this year. And that, that might get usurped because there's a lot of other big stuff happening. But uh, sure. the first time this, the second this was announced, the second this was revealed, we were all like buzzing. We're all, all so excited. My first question was, <laughs> like, how are we going to fight a house? And all through the entire early portion of the game, I was like, when are we going to fight the house? And you go through all the tunnels and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I hope a house jumps out. I have to fight it. And I was just like, <laughs> I think they got to do it. They got to have a house. And I, I reached a point where I'm like, you know, I, I should probably just, it, they had to make some concessions. They obviously, they couldn't, they couldn't do everything. And then the second they bring out the hell house, I lost my mind. I went, I got so excited. I started shouting, like just jumping up and down. My dog started barking, trying to bite me in the leg. I was so excited. And then Cloud's first question was, how are we supposed to fight a house? And I just like, I lost it. It was so perfect. Like that was the, the just the, I mean, it was a colossal house-sized wink yeah. and a nod to everything so wonderful about the first game. So. And I, I do want to get into all of that stuff now because we could probably oh. spend the next 20 minutes we only have 20 minutes left uh talking about the ending uh, i almost feel like we need to do a part two mm -hmm. to the spoiler cast <laughs> yeah but uh, we shouldn't put part one in the title for this one it has to be yeah, a no of course why, why why do them? Yeah. no we're gonna put a weird subtitle on the second one don't you worry um but so yeah let's get into because i think we could talk about the world of midgar and some of our favorite moments and characters in tandem um and i think hell house is a really great place to start because that is part of a larger uh the wall market area uh that tom was talking about and praising earlier um yeah i do think the wall market area is where so many of the best moments of this game kind of come to fruition on a lot of levels it's in it's incredible like you know the way that they the the pages that they've borrowed from games like yakuza and you know just like walking into wall market for the first time and seeing how how different it looked from the original final fantasy and how fully realized it is and you're you're walking around and you're hearing all these conversations in the background and like uh you know people talking to each other about like the trouble that they're in with like loan sharks or like their relationship is falling apart because somebody spends too much time at the honeybee or like you know there's all these little like more so than in any other area of the game i think they really like built this one area and it, it honestly like when this game was still in development, I remember talking to our good friend, Andrew Goldfarb and his whole deal was like, yeah, okay, but how are they going to do wall market and the cloud cross-dressing scene? And in, you know, in a time where that could very easily, like looking back on the original, you could very easily say that, like, that that's kind of a problematic scene in 2020. And the way that they reframed that and leaned into it, like it's, it's perfectly summed up in the, the, you know, like this absurd dance sequence and like really over the top anime, you know, BS that like, I, I was just, even for a guy that doesn't like love a lot of anime, I said with like the anime t-shirt on, but um, it really blew me away. And then at the end, you know, the, the whole message is like beauty transcends gender or race or, or age or whatever. Like, it's just, it's about being comfortable in your own skin. And you're just like, that's amazing. Like it's a, it's an incredible piece of writing for this game. Like I they, they took what could have been so awful and so bad and made it work so so well. Like I think it's such an amazing moment. And it it really like I, I agree with all of that. And it really also is cool because they tie the message then into Cloud's own arc in this right. game of like trying mm -hmm. to figure out who he is and what he's doing. And like it's really weird that they were like it's kind of jaw-dropping that they were able to take this scene that was so worrisome and make it genuinely one of the greatest parts of the video of the game and probably one of the best video game moments i've had in a long time like yeah the, all, i think i think yeah wall market was just fantastic i mean yeah. we see we see video games like left and right kind of you know borrowing from genre tropes usually it's like fantasy sci-fi action and stuff and that felt like a baz lerman movie that felt like moulin rouge but it was and it was just so just completely just gaudy and over the top and just fabulous and it was like that i was i had like a smile on my face for that entire sequence it was just it was just so fun and it's it's so cool that there's that we're able to have a game that manages to strike that balance between something like that that is kind of like colorful and goofy and over the top but then at the same time there's like oh yeah but no the fate of the galaxy you know rests at hand and there's going to be genetic experiments it's like such a like that's what i think makes 
like Final Fantasy is so great is that it is this wonderful kind of, you know, bouillabaisse of just all these different, like it's a little bit cyberpunk, it's a little bit fantasy, it's got yeah. genetic mutations, but it's also got maybe aliens and time, it's everything, it's just all in there, you know? Yes. Yeah, I, I can't remember if it was Nomura or Sakaguchi. Uh, there's an interview on US Gamer from uh, a while back uh, where I, I can't remember if it was one of those two creators, but they were talking about how Final Fantasy VII was approached by this idea of like, this is the first 32-bit era uh, Final Fantasy game. It's the first like big JRPG that we want to bring to the West. It should have a little bit of everything, right? It should be. That's why you have a snowboarding game and a squats mini game and, you know, all this like crazy bullshit that's in there. Um, and I, I think that there are moments where this game reflects that back really really well and the honeybee in uh you know wall market is like such a perfect example of that like you take something that is you know a pretty minor part of the overall game and really blow it out into this huge spectacle and it makes the game a completely different thing for a little while and i, I just like really love that that whole part like that whole sequence everyone in this game is beautiful everyone is the most impeccably designed human being and is made and to be like the object of some someone's affection and everyone is well, maybe not Red Thirteen, yeah, but I, yeah, I know. Well, speak for yourself. And tribal tattoos, yeah. Red Thirteen, yeah. Is, he's got dog. mascara on, man. The dog is sexy. Everyone's he, sexy. He has game. like insane human arms that he pushes those levers down with. It's very yeah. strange. Um, it, it also <laughs> that. Do you think they mocap the dude for the dog? I think I so. Hope so uh, that that sequence has my favorite line in the whole game too. When Tifa recognizes Cloud. Uh, you know he's dressed in in uh you know drag or in like you know this dress and stuff and she recognizes him and she says oh that hair that dress and he goes i know i nailed it moving on and it's just yeah. like it's so funny and it's so well delivered um you know i, I think that that we the, the writing is this really sort of dichotomous affair I, I think that there are people in uh the camp that like really love the writing and think that it's like really really well done really well acted and then there are people that think that it's like very anime and very bad. I happen to be in the former. I think especially considering the translation and localization of the original game being so rocky that the, that this game really humanizes all of these characters and makes them speak like normal people for the most part is like really, uh, really well done. And, and there's some really funny lines, which I didn't expect to like laugh out loud at this game. And I really did. And I'm not a person that gets emotional at games. And there's a couple of things that like really choked me up throughout this playthrough. And uh, I was really surprised at how, you know, at how thoughtful and deliberate a lot of the writing was, especially in the first, you know, two thirds of this game. Yeah, I really, as someone who like has an idea of what those first five-ish hours of the original are, I really respected what I assumed were a lot of the like fleshing out of the main characters. And I think that comes with Bear. Eric, Tifa, and Aerith and Cloud for sure, but I also mm -hmm. really, really loved, and I've talked to Tom a lot about this, the presence of uh, Jesse, Wedge, and Biggs in this game so much. So Jesse is hands down my favorite, like best girl for me, but um, I think the three of them, like the the layers that they're given for this uh, and the way that they come into the story a lot are, are really entertaining and made me really care about them. There's, there's all these amazing character moments for you know, uh, each of those characters and some of them are right in your face. Like there's, you go to Jesse's mom's house for a nice pizza while they're going to, before they break into the Mako five reactor and she's narrating your actions when you're going through, you know, like you'll see a door in the back of the house, go through the door, take the first room on the right. That's my dad. He's sick. Don't worry about it. But like it recontextualizes her whole character, right. In a way that I think is really, really beautifully done. Um, but then there's another moment later on in the game that like completely floored me in that you're doing all these like chores for this orphanage called the leaf house. Right. And throughout each of these chores, they're talking about like, Oh, well my predecessor, Oh, what a great guy. He did this, or he really established the leaf house as a place for kids. What a, what a, you know, amazing human and blah, blah, blah. And then there's just one line where they reveal that it's bigs. It's bigs the whole time. And like he calls back to that later in the game. But I remember that being like such a cool thing. Like it's a dialogue tree that you might miss on your first playthrough where that's revealed, you know? And so I just thought that was like such a sweet, like little character addition. And that's the kind of stuff that you, you know, those characters in the first game, they were there, but they had like five lines and then they were flattened by the plate. So like, you know, uh, I think it's really interesting the way that this game has built them out, all the characters, not just those three. I'm Except for Roach. I don't know what his deal was. <laughs> Obviously, it's kind of a 
it's kind of a matter of like personal taste what what you get most interested in but i completely latched on to like the small moment to moment character things and like the little like the little kind of zoomed in details and the really obviously you're doing stuff to save you know to save the planet you're gonna go blow up you know reactors and it's it's still very high fantasy and you know nonsensical and exciting but it's also just like those little you know the little tidbits of just exchanges and like little you know side moments and like quirky stuff and that's exactly why i think i had so many sort of hang-ups about the ending because the second it takes you out of this beautifully realized you know perfectly rendered uh grounded scenario where you're surrounded by characters you you really care about and you're suddenly in like a interdimensional you know section of freeway where there's no gravity and you're fighting a 500 foot tall elemental and it's just like that is such a complete separation from the stuff that made it really work so i was i was, I was definitely much more enthused about like a little little human moments like that yeah i saw i saw that ending that you know the the giant dc universe ending coming and i was really hoping that that wouldn't be the case you know i think that we've talked a little bit about the momentum like you know you 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 go through all the boardroom stuff you fight rufus and then uh, rufus rules too it's a great fight yeah it's a really it's good such fight. a good well there's the genova fight there's the genova fight and then the rufus fight which are two of the best fights in the game and then you have that fucking motorcycle fight that sucks <laughs> And then you and then you step off the the freeway into the void and fight the which I didn't mind the the fight against Destiny I thought it was kind of cool but like I just was hoping like I was like please get to the end of the freeway and just fight Sephiroth one on one yeah. and then have yeah. him disappear into the you know the background but like I I just don't think that like as a video game in 2020 you can't have a video game without this like big spectacular ending so it, it mirrors Sorry, I, I the end of all the way back to the ending again no so. it's all good it mirrors the end of the original kingdom hearts and i only bring that up because that's like my closest into the final fantasy 7 world and obviously nomura uh, has a major hand in those games that that original game makes this jump from albeit a weird mix of final fantasy and disney but you're going through all these disney worlds and then at the end it's like hey we're going to go to the end of the world and you're going to fight 12 versions of ansem and all of them are going to be progressively more tentacle filled for some um it it definitely felt like a weird escalation in the same way when there was a very obvious bunch of disney villains you could fight at the end yeah um and but it's also that that whole final like talking about like the the bending but in the context of the gameplay like that was a really good distillation too for me of like what boss fights worked better than others in that game because i think anything that was like the one-on-one -on -one fights like all the fights against rude and the fights against reno i think those were incredible like even just the fight against sephiroth at the end was like really fun right like it was a really engaging fight whereas like making me fight like the same three whisper enemies six times in a row was like way less interesting to me. Oh. So I agree. Yeah. I think that, I think that ending could have been a lot stronger if they had just reined it in a little bit and just totally. been like, here's a Sephiroth fight. Yeah. yeah. And so let's get to the gameplay of it as we uh, are running short on time. And I do want to talk about specifically, I think the, the combat changes are obviously the biggest thing for people who are coming from an experience with the game. Uh, this one has obviously gotten rid of the time based or the uh, turn based aspect of the original game. Of course, that had the uh, you had to wait for the meter. Well, it can. So there is obviously the classic mode, but you're playing. It's kind of a stop gap. Yeah, yeah, you're playing a like uh, an amalgamation of turn-based and real-time gameplay. I would Ooh, say. Ooh, baby, this combat system is just. Mm -hmm. I love it. it yeah, I think it's the jam. Oh. Yeah, it's. I think it's yeah. the best RPG combat system I've played since probably Final Fantasy XII. Like, I think it's amazing. Um, I, I love the 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 way that it keeps you on your toes. The battles are difficult. You really have to have the right strategy going into stuff. Um, and you kind of only learn that by getting your ass handed to you. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, I, I just, it was almost a disappointment to me that there's not like bigger, tougher side quests or, or post-game boss content. Like that might still come down the line. There is a slot for DLC on this home screen, but, um, you know, like you, you can fight behemoths and you can do, you know, a couple other side questy things, but like, I just want more hardcore like battle challenges in that game i think that the battle system is like phenomenal the behemoth fight is fun too yeah yeah, it is. yeah i would have so welcomed a and again this is my parallel but in kingdom hearts you have the olympus coliseum which is just like round after round of combat um and i know there's a combat simulator in here but i wish there was something like that fleshed out that we could there's keep also, going to there's also the uh the combat arena in walmart yes. yeah yeah 
yeah, which is definitely the similar one. But yeah, I would have happily taken more boss battles. Um, I, and Tom, to your point, I think those one-on-one boss battles when they're really grounded are some of the best fights in the game. Mm-hmm. Not that um, the giant monsters aren't fun, because a lot of the no, giant monsters yeah. are fun too. But like, yeah, th- those those one-on-ones are super fun, and they're fun. Like they're t- full of a ton of cool detail. Like I heard about the I don't know if you guys heard about the thing with the Reno Rude fight at the end in. Mm-hmm. Where if you take out Reno first and then you only use Tifa, Rude has a crush on Tifa, which is why he didn't kill her on like the the stairs. And so he won't use his whole moveset. And he'll just like you can just fight him as Tifa and it'll be like way different. Wow. Like, there's a ton of detail like that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how did you all feel, obviously with experience from the original game, of how the equipment, like your different weapons? and the materia system was handled here and how does it is it pretty similar to the original or is it drastically different i I think the with the exception of like the ability to level up your your weapons the materia system is like a pretty pretty solid one-to-one the way that it works um the leveling of the weapons is interesting because it allows you some customization of characters um but i think you're going to end up kind of you know it kind of falls back into the idea that like you're at the behest of your materia that you equip and it's it's you know you're kind of you can kind of only build cloud to be one specific type like he there's some variation like Aerith will always be your healer you know like uh barrett is secretly a great healer but it's like also kind of tanky you know like it's it there's yeah it's, it's a little bit limited in that see actually i i kind of disagree i one of the things i really liked about the weapon system and the weapon upgrading was I loved that each weapon basically let you reclass your characters. Like mm. you could pretty much make anybody you wanted. Like, yeah, you're right that, you know, Aerith was naturally a good magic user and Barrett was naturally a good tank, but like you could give Aerith the physical weapon and just use her basic attacks and it would like, could get you by, right? Mm. Like you could give cloud the magic weapon. And I think that was the mithril sword for him and like, just get, pump him up with heals and magic like i thought that was really really cool i also really appreciated that if you didn't want to mess around with that and trifle with it just the fact that there was sort of like the auto like auto assign or auto like oh yeah, yeah. always nice always just, nice yeah and i mean i i i went back and forth on this because like i had a really you know early on i was like really engaged with the combat and then it reached a point where i was like i kind of want to just get through it and it was just it was it's just as easy to like really get into it and engage with it and you can also i mean if you want you can you can kind of bash your way through it you know like you mm-hmm. can, you can kind of just sort of just not pay too much attention to who's got which materials equipped. And I don't know. I like I the whole the weapon system was was really smart and clever. Uh, I think my only my only hang up, and this doesn't have anything to do with literally anything, but I, I wish that there had been co- cosmetic outfits. Yeah, like I wish that there were because it's yeah. weird to have like such intricately detailed, um, you know, like bangles and and you know weapons with visible materials slots, and the fact that the world was like so detailed and everything, but then everyone's wearing like the same clothes all the time, you know, like I wish that we'd been able to tweak that slightly. I think that that's a little bit in service to the original and that those designs are so iconic, you know, mm-hmm. like th- those character designs are, it's funny. Cause like the final fantasy series is so well known for its character design and it's a lot of it is a mono, but this one game is, is Nomura. And this is the game that's bigger than all of them. You know, I think I, so there's maybe a little bit to that. One of my, one of my favorite things was how, like, depending how tough a character was, the more final fantasy they looked. So yeah, you have like totally. random NPCs who just look like they were from, you know, San Andreas or something. They're just like regular video yeah, game dudes. People. Yeah, and then yeah. you're like, you've got like, you know, Jesse and Wedge and Diggs, and they're like, oh, you got, you kind of did like some cosplay off the rack, and then you've got like, you know, your core team, and you're like, you guys look awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally there's not suspicious at all either. No, right. never. Um, so as we wrap up on time here, I do want to quickly ask. Um, I I think we're all very excited to see where this goes next. Uh, given that since the game came out, uh, there have been some talk about like where the next steps of this can go, and they've said essentially the team is hoping to release games more quickly in the series, possibly in smaller chunks. Do you think we're going to see like a ten-part series, or do you think they're going to try to keep it contained to three or four? Here's what I'll say that's very ominous because um, I don't know the answer. Half-Life and Valve, when Half-Life 2 came out, said, you know what, that took too long, we'll release it in smaller chunks, and they switched to episodes, and then we never got past 2. So I'm really nervous that what, if they're deciding to do that, a very similar thing would happen. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, though. I, I don't know which way they're going to go with it. I'm, I'm cool with smaller chunks if they end up doing that. It's just riskier in my mind. I would prefer the game to be like three or four larger games. 
all in. Um, I, I think my only real concern is what I said at the top of this is like, I don't really trust Square to tell a grounded story beyond like this. This game does in the first two thirds. But now that we know how this game ends, like I would really, really love to see a story that is close to the original and has some variances and maybe hints at like alternate realities and stuff like we saw at the end of this game. But I, I like I don't want to play a game where you play half of it as a Zach Fair in an alternate dimension that is alive from this thing. And like, you know, like I, I still want it to be Final Fantasy VII. I'm totally into the artistic like challenges uh, and changes that they've made here. But yeah, you've I think you've got to play it at least pretty close to that original game. Max? Yeah, I mean, if they're going to tell a wackadoo story, I hope they take a page out of FF15 and pad it out with some really cool moment-to-moment stuff with characters in a big, huge open world, so. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be uh, very interesting to see what they do going forward with this all. Obviously, I think we have so much more we could have talked about. We didn't even get to express our love for Johnny, which I know we all feel <laughs> very, very strong. Um, but thank you to everyone who watched or listened to this um, normally you can find all of our content on IGN.com, YouTube.com slash IGN and you can find Max and me weekly on Podcast Beyond at beyond.ign.com and youtube.com slash IGN beyond uh, Tom and Zach are uh, part of the good old Nintendo voice chat family uh, and you can see them normally episodes are up on Thursday correct? Mm-hmm. yeah Cool. Oh yeah, you got some Nintendo stuff there. Uh, And everything else, Final Fantasy VII Remake on IGN.com. Be sure to check out uh, Tom's review of the game if you haven't already, and check out our very, very detailed and helpful guide if you're playing along with it still or trying to get that Platinum Trophy. Uh, But thank you all so much for taking the time to speak with me about this game. Uh, Obviously, we have a lot to say, and please let us know how you've been feeling about the game in the comments, and thank you so much for watching. The first next-generation Inside Xbox is coming this Thursday, May 7th, and IGN's Unlock crew will be there to break down everything it has to offer. Join us at 7.30 a.m. Pacific, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time to get in on the action. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.